0: on this episode of the playbook i have eight time olympic medalist the man who you see on the wall when you walk into the olympic training center apollo ono and we're going to discuss what it takes to be a gold medalist join me for all this and more on the playbook this is the playbook where I give you access each week to the world's greatest athletes and executives about their personal and professional playbook and what has made them champions on and off the field. This is the playbook. I am here with my favorite Olympian, believe it or not. And the only reason he's my favorite Olympian is I rarely find an Olympian that I can see eye to eye to. Right, Most of them, uh, <laughs> I, I deal with basketball and baseball and there's these giants, but this guy has a giant heart. Apollo Ono, eight medal in the Olympics, an incredible athlete, pretty good looking guy too. You've probably seen him on Dances with the Stars twice, <laughs> Uh once extremely victorious, the other extremely competitive. But anyway, Apollo, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, dude. No
0: Thanks problem. You. It's uh, a lot of fun. I thought maybe for those of our listeners that somehow have missed the last decade, or so, of your greatness, whether it would be from the Olympics or on TV. Maybe you could share just a little bit of your background, who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. So uh, I spent 15 years in the Olympic space, specifically Winter Olympic sports. My sport was short track speed skating. Uh, I went to three Olympic games. And wait, wait, I'm not
0: going to break this up here for a second. Yeah. Most people don't know short track speed skating yeah. is, to me, the most... Uh, it's the hardest sport for one reason. I you know, is it John Boyle? Is he a ski skater as well as John Coyle? John Coyle. John Coyle, right? John Coyle, So yeah. I spoke on stage with John Coyle, <laughs> yeah. right? And John, he... I just saw John, like... Four days ago. Right. And, yeah. he, and he always tells me it's the most depressing sport because you actually can lose the gold medal by one thousandth of a second because short yeah. skate is yeah. so close, yeah, right? And you track, move so yeah. fast. Yeah. Unlike a mile or. So,
1: so short track is we race on a 111 meter track, which is basically an Olympic size hockey rink. Yeah. Um, and unlike long track, which is like Dan Jansen and Eric Hayden what people see, where you race on basically a four hundred meter track, we, rest, we race against four to six other athletes at the same time. So strategy, passing, variables—you know, disqualifications, penalties. You fall, you trip, whatever. Uh, there's a lot of variables to change, and so literally like that, your life can be changed. It's so stressful.
0: Yeah. And then, are you a fast runner?
1: Uh, I was a pretty fast forty guy. Yeah. Uh, early in my career when we were focusing more on sprints but then um you know the sport i had to adapt and my body changed dramatically
0: and uh before you were involved in speed skating you were actually a swimmer i played all sports of all actually sports. i actually
1: yeah. originally wanted to be a running back me too and um, <laughs> my dad's like that's not going to happen then i wanted to be a bo- actually i wanted to be a boxer first he said that's not going to happen then he said you i want to be a running back Oh, he didn't read it in no. Right? He thought the Mariners were the football team. In <laughs> nice. Okay, so yeah. um, you know he said no to football. Um track and field I was average. Uh, and then I, you know, he threw me in really kind of every single sport and on demand to, to kind of keep me out of trouble. Safe sports. Safe sports. <laughs> yeah. Like swimming. Right. You know, pretty safe yeah. as long as you know how to swim. Right. And yeah, I, I spent most of my time, uh, in swimming when I was very young. I was, you know, I progressed very, fairly easily. Uh, I was a natural swimmer, a state champ when I was like 12. That's and, crazy. Uh, I saw the sport of short track speed skating. I had never seen it before on television in 1992 and then again in 1994, My father and I would watch the Olympics always, and I fell in love with the sport. I thought it looked fake. It looked like these guys were racing around this track, like they're kind of superhero figures and leaning over these impossible angles, going 35, 40 miles an hour on this piece of blade that was you a millimeter thick. Um, Growing up in Seattle, my father would drive me to Vancouver, BC. When I was in Vancouver, that's when I saw real speed skating up close and personal, and that's when I was kind of hooked and was like, I want to really try this sport. Uh, and then six months later, I just started toying around with some friends of mine who's like from the local, you know, roller skating rink. They would come out and we would go to a hockey rink and we would just basically put on ice skates and just just skate. Uh, I picked it up very fast and my dad started to enroll me in local domestic competitions in the Seattle area. I started winning. I was very good at emulating what I saw. Cool. And then from there, um, you know, some junior development, basically some scouts would come up to my father and said we think your son's got a lot of potential we know he's only you know 14 years old we'd love to invite him to upstate new york lake placid new york where the 1980 games were um and be a part of our junior development program uh to prepare and potentially make the 1998 olympic team i was only 14. wow and that's kind of how my career began. So I moved to New York, and
0: that's awesome. No, were you a yeah. Warren Moon fan when you were in Seattle? Yeah, yeah.
1: It was it ninety seven, ninety eight? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Now, you were raised by your father, yep. right? Yep. So I, we, I did. I was a single mom. So, yep. tell me about how that is. You know, coming from a single mom, my mom made a, a, a huge effort to make sure that we were all successful in school. Yeah. But for me, the time wasn't there for athletics, so. I tried to distinguish myself with my six siblings that I was gonna be the great athlete. Um, and I should have probably taken up speed skating uh, because football probably <laughs> wasn't the best choice. But tell me about what that's like to have, you know, you have the single dad and you're like kind of full-time job and school when you're 14 and going to Lake Placid.
1: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> look, my, uh, first and foremost, I was blessed with an incredible father. Um, yeah. And my dad has been super supportive Regardless of whatever career choice I make, regardless of, you know, as long he, as it wasn't football, he's right. a father. As he's, long as it was a football or boxing, <laughs> right. I, I was boxing. totally cool,
0: right? My mom was the same way, but somehow I slipped by, <laughs> yeah.
1: And I'm glad actually I didn't because I think my career would have stopped very quickly, <laughs> right? Um, the guys in my school were built out of granite. I was like, nice. there's no way this kid is 14, he has a full beard, <laughs> 6'2, 240, like it's impossible, yes. you know, the way they build him in Washington, yeah. I don't know what's going on, yeah, what are they eating, it's the milk, um, and so you know, I. My dad was amazing. And, you know, growing up, single parent household, uh, my father being an immigrant from Japan, he didn't know anything about how to raise really a child. And so he poured all of his resources, time and energy into me as little as they were. No siblings, just <clears throat> just, my, just me. Yeah, nice. And, you know, he found that sport was kind of my outlet uh, for expression. And luckily sport kind of basically saved me from a lot of negative destructive potential decisions that I would make in my life i think like with a lot of athletes yep. and helped me shape and cultivate and and really give me direction in a positive perspective which i think really is the basis for all sports in general is yes we love the sport but inherently within sport comes an attribute you know layout that is really unrivaled in anything in life and it kind of fast tracks your way towards these life decisions uh, that are really, really amazing. My father had the foresight to see that in a way that, you know, when I was 14, I didn't. That's awesome. And um, yeah, so I, growing up with my dad was was very difficult because I was very defiant. I was a rambunctious bad kid, so to speak. Yeah. But I think overall, generally, uh, my father always has had the best interest in me and always had foresight. And has really never been wrong, which kind of still pisses me off to this right, day, because everything he's ever told me has been right. <laughs> I was gonna
0: ask you your pet peeve, yeah. now I know it. I would hate to have, my my yeah. dad was perfect because he was always wrong. So I, knew, <laughs> so I knew if he told me something, I literally just take the opposite and it made me a huge success. My dad would be like, don't go into the internet. I'm like, internet's gonna be a good thing. This is the right? thing. Yeah. Don't buy a house right now, I immediately go get a loan. It was amazing, like people think I'm some like monetary a genius, I, I just got a great dad. Yeah. Because a parent just has to be consistent. They don't have to be right. That's right. So it, yeah. I think you it's just a lot got to right. Fun having a bad dad than a good one. But <laughs> uh, my mom was like your dad, really yeah. supportive. No, I, I have a little bit of insight in the Olympics because I, you know, ran Lee Steinberg and yeah. we represented many of yeah. the Olympic teams, so USA baseball and rugby and a variety of things that we've done over the years. There's a few confusions I see that people think about marketing an Olympic athlete. Sure. I was telling you that we represented Carl Lewis yep. at Lee's, but. <laughs> You know, Most uh, people perceive because they see you on this grand world stage. Sure. The biggest and stage. The biggest stage. And yeah. if you win a gold medal, it's even worse. But they think the minute you win a gold medal, it's like winning the lottery. Right. You know, there's somehow $400 million. But meanwhile, you know, I think the ninth player on the Lakers, who we don't know his name right now. I'm, I don't. Maybe you do. I'm yeah, a Lakers know. fan. But whoever the ninth player on the Lakers, he's making like $100 million. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and here you are, the greatest in the world at something. Yeah. That ninth player on the Laker, he's not the greatest in the world. We don't even know his name. But they just assume that you make all this money. Tell me about the business side and that expectation, how hard it is. you know. And I know what it's like to be wealthy and people think, oh, buy me dinner. You're Apollo Ono. Oh and meanwhile, you're sitting there going, you probably make more money than I do. And t- <laughs> t- tell me about that conflict.
1: So, I mean, look, and first and foremost, like any industry – you know, one percent of the athletes make ninety five percent of all the income. Right in the Olympic space, it's probably even more. Except ske- for probably- the NBA,
0: everybody's making. Everybody makes <laughs> a good amount of money, yeah.
1: right? Um, yeah. But it really, it's it's. You know, the Olympic space is unique because it's once every four years. Uh, you're constrained by a lot of the IOC and the USOC. I guess, marketing guidelines. There's a whiteout period before the Olympics, one month before, during, and after. So let's say I have a non-Olympic sponsor who wants to sponsor me as an athlete. It's my first Olympic games. That sponsor cannot use my name or anything in relation to marketing for that three-month duration, which is really the value it's worse of, than the of the marketing. <laughs> right. And so you know, it's up to the athlete themselves to go out and garner sponsorship activity. Um, it's a very complex, convoluted business. There's still money to be made, uh, and it's still necessary. It's just nowhere near the scape of of pro, pro athletes, and I don't think that's ever going to change. Um, you know, I think the fact that you know once that also alludes to the fact that look, once every four years, you're on the world stage. You're you know, one billion people are watching plus the opening ceremony, but it's once every four years. The NBA plays all the time, year round. In There's merchandise. Yeah. No one's buying Olympic speed skating skin suits that are signed by Apollo Ono. Like, they don't have use. i be surprised. I
0: got one coming for you to sign, I think. My buddy from Utah ran home real quick. Oh, what nice, nice. I like it. I like it.
1: So it's, you know, I mean, awesome. it's it's you know. It, I think the business side is is unique. Now, if you're a Sean White, you're Michelle Kwan, Michael yeah. Phelps. I mean, Phelps will rip probably 75 to 100 mil over his career, um, as he should. Yep. Right, because he is literally one of the greatest Olympians of all time. The guy has like fifty gold medals; like it's insane. Um, it is. But there's, you know, there is still an underlying group subset of people around the world, not just just American athletes who win gold medals, and American athletes. I, I could tell you names of a gold medalist, you'd have no idea who this person yeah. is. I have two that work. And for he me. probably probably works at Home Depot.
0: Yeah, well, uh, Kate, you know? Caitlin Zendejo works for me, and she has, you know. I think six medals, Yeah, you know, USC it's, swimmer. And, it's wild. And she coaches swimming and we took her on because she's an extraordinary human being. I'm blessed. I do marketing for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We represented great Hall of Famers. And one yeah. of the cool things, I believe, surround yourself with the right people and the right yep. ideas. So I get to meet the best in the world at yep. certain things. And I call it a higher vibration. And to surround myself in, with people like you, I look to hire guys like you. I look to do business with, to be friends with because you vibrated a faster, vibe, regardless of the money. And one of the real goals at Sports One Marketing that we do is we take guys like you and say, look, there's this whole area of creating content with Apollo Ono and creating a brand beyond what you've already done, right? And so that's why we always have these cameras here because we've learned a real niche of the production of the production. And you're someone that gets that business side of things. Now, the other side of being Olympian that most people is you sacrifice friends, you know social life a lot of times because you have to be so hyper competitive and trained and then to education wise a lot of times you know it's amazing to me how well educated olympians are compared to what i see in boxing and football guys who actually go to college and yet somehow a lot of the olympians that we represent and know they're just you know your vocabulary is extraordinary extremely articulate you obviously didn't have the same experience as me and go to college and law school and business school and all these things that I had an advantage in the academic world. But yet, if we sat together and they didn't know who you were and said, well, which one of these two guys is an academic, they would choose you, <laughs> right? I don't Even really though I have, all this, <laughs> I have all this education. <laughs> what is it like, you know, I really tell everyone, like, do you, you study a certain amount of time or did they kind of let you slide back then? And- I think everybody's unique. I mean, there's yeah.
1: no template, right? So um, myself, I am an avid information guy like I read all the time I believe in full immersion when I wasn't training I was reading I try to surround myself with the most elite businessmen as possible and upon my retirement um you know I traveled the world and I try to get in touch with all of the most successful people and the smartest most intelligent people that I could possibly surround myself with right. and learn from them engage with them interact with them emulate them as much as possible so that was my skill set that I feel that I really had. Where'd you learn that from? You know, I became, I I was a crazy reader when I was a young kid. And so my ability to process information um, became something I was really fascinated with. I started a business on trying to process information faster. I started a plant-based nutraceutical company that would enhance your cognitive ability to a level. I wanted to recreate the limitless pill, but on a natural version. Right. So I've always been fascinated with business from before I even retired from sport. uh, You know, I realized that Sports would only take me so far in my life, but if you had you asked me when I was eighteen what I want to do when I retired, I would have told you. What do you mean when I retired? I was built for this sport. Like I have no other purpose on the planet. Right. I'm. I am speed skating. And speed skating is me. And I didn't really see anything else. But as I kind of grew older, I realized my at you know my my aspirations and things that I truly wanted inherently at my core. And you talk about higher vibration, I felt that this was simply a catalyst and a vehicle in which that was gonna catapult me into something much bigger much greater. Whether it was financially successful or not, I think my own personal quest for fulfillment, purpose, driven, is much bigger than only the sport of short track speed skating. And my heart still goes there, I still love it, but. You know, to kind of rewind a bit, we talk about the dedication and, and sacrifice. You know, you have an athlete who goes four, eight, 12 years of their life dedicated towards one race once every four years on a specific soil, whether it's in Salt Lake City, Italy, China. you know, China, China wherever <laughs> it is. And you have that one moment on that day to be absolutely perfect. And your race lasts 40 seconds long, right? <laughs> and yeah. if you're not perfect like that, your entire life is really kind of back to normal. Now you just spent your entire life dedicated and sacrificed socially, um, internally, relationship-wise, business-wise, academically. And now your career is over. You're 30 years old. You're thrust into the world and you say, hey, look, Dave, I want a job. Or you're going to a tech company and say, I want a job. I have all these incredible attributes as an athlete. I'm a fighter. I'm a believer. I'm the captain of what it takes to be mentally tough. But I don't have any experience. Skills, right. What do I do? You're competing against a kid who just, you know, he just did a, you know, two week intern for Goldman, and now you're competing with this guy who's willing to take a lower pay cut than you because he's 20 years old. Right. How do you compete with that? Now you're 30. You got bills to pay. You got things to do. So there's a definite. I I call it the dark side that comes with association with the Olympic Games. However, the buck doesn't stop there. I think those attributes are inherently extremely powerful, and. Athletes have that skill set. They just have to figure out how to turn that skill set and apply it in a way that is really beneficial to them.
0: You know? I agree. We we uh, I sit on the board of something called Athletes Network. We have yeah. two million athletes that were college, professional, Olympians, and we have companies like Enterprise, Johnson and Johnson, these great Geico, great companies that only specifically look for the a- attributes of an athlete, right? Yeah. Discipline. Now you did. Shameless plug, I brought my book since you're a reader. But more importantly, I know you're a mind guy, and and so am I. So I believe in this integration of the conscious, subconscious, and unconscious mind. So I train my mind consciously to think about what I want uh, subconsciously to believe things right? Which vibrates faster. It's amazing. But even I believe there's a carried energy. And I read a little bit about your mind analysis that we carry a vibration, right? And so you'll hear me talk about that. And I tell people all the time, it doesn't matter what you think or believe, you're carrying an energy and you need to learn to shift that energy, which is unconscious. It's in your mind. It's in our DNA. It's an electrical current. And you were born with that certain DNA. Um, Tell us a little bit about that philosophy because I know it's, I believe so much and I really want you to read my book and and let me know what you think because that changed my life and I thought I understood. I was like you, young and successful in what I did, but I was lost. And when I found out the purpose, you know, for me, Happiness was always attached to an outcome. And I think a lot of Olympians have that problem, right? Yes, once I win the gold Because you're pre-trained. Right. And right? once I detached and people said, how can you be so goal oriented but be detached from an outcome? I said, because all I've detached is my happiness from it. I enjoy the pursuit of my potential now. As a businessman, a father, a husband, whatever it is, I've learned to detach the happiness from I'm going to make $100 million and be happy. It's, I'm going to enjoy making as much money to help as many people as I can and have as much fun, whatever. Tell me your philosophy about that mental aspect of what you teach and, and, and learned.
1: Sure. And and I think, you know, look, I'm no guru by any sense and I'm a continuing um, pupil. So I read massive amounts of material all into the mind, psychology, spirituality. Uh, I'm a firm believer in manifestation. I mean, we talk about it frequently, uh, you know, if you don't inherently believe that you actually deserve something in a path, and you don't feel that vibrational frequency, and people say, "Okay, you're talking about vibrational frequency," I'm like, "Look, this is biology. Right? This is not foo foo. This is not. This, not is, this is science. <laughs> like this is proven. Physics. If you can match the frequency of the things that you need and desire in your life, you have a much likely, a much greater chance of achieving and realizing that value in some capacity." Um, and then, then you just take it a step further and say, look, you know if you want you talk about your detachment from the outcome. I mean, you know, I, I'm not Buddhist, but I, there's a lot of fundamental Buddhism qualities that I do believe inherently,
0: and Me I think too. some of you, to Buddha.
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think you know some of them are, you know like if you desire true happiness, the first thing you take away is you take away desire. If you no longer desire, then you no longer have the pain, the sufferings, other things that are associated with you not achieving that outcome. It's much more easier said than done, right? right? Because of we are trained in the US and abroad to be in this cycle, right? And continuously yeah. reach these goals. And I, there's nothing wrong with having goals. I think it's a very good part of our DNA as people to continuously keep driving and striving. And I, like anyone else, has been built upon microcycle goals, mesocycle goals, macro goals, both for myself, personally improving. And I, I think that we're coming into an age of information where people around are understanding that uh, we are in control really of our own decisions, actions, and our perceptions of our environment. So regardless of what's happening in your life, your perception of that challenge, that that, that problem is going to directly uh, showcase to you if you're happy or not. And we all know someone who looks like they are just incredibly happy all the time. The guy who maybe is, you know, like he's just always happy, (laughs) Um, but maybe behind the door there's a lot of conflict, but they are able to perceive their reality in a different way. And I think that that's got a lot to do with how you live your life and how you actually have and achieve happiness. Cause I mean, look, at the end of the day, you know and we say it sometimes no one wants to be a multi-trillionaire if you're just unhappy and you've got no friends that really support
0: you well, our president yeah. looks pretty miserable right now and you think he would be happy but yeah. he he does uh, yeah. no I'm with Apollo Ono. This is the playbook. One of the interesting things you said too, that is one of the unique philosophies I have is I talk about accessing information. Yeah. And that's the exact quote that you used earlier on. I believe everything exists mm-hmm. and that I have to get out of my own way and allow things to happen to access that information via frequency. Mm-hmm. And so the better I become at accessing what I want. So I talk about two things that made me happy and purposeful was productivity, which is something you're an expert at. Like to be an Olympian, you have to be so productive, efficient, effective, and statistically successful at what those skills, knowledge, and desire all came and accumulated for. The second part is accessibility. Most people think, you know, I'm accessible to everyone in here, and I try to be. I have a family, I have businesses, I have my community, my charities like we share in Africa. But more importantly, my specialty is I can, I practice accessing the information. I, I get the, what I want, manifestation is accessing. And so tell me what that to you means when you tell me, Dave, I like to access information. Is it frequency? Is it a, an ability? Is it, can you train it like you can skating?
1: I think anything can be trained. You know, it, I think I think some people, you know, genetically possess something like a light switch. They can turn it on, turn it off. Bonnie Blair was one of those people. Um, you know, she was able to get into the zone. You call it. She was able to do these things right away. Some people took much longer. So I think, look, I I struggle with this all the time, right? I struggle with uh, this. You know, sometimes these these voices that you hear that tell you that it's not possible, that tell you that maybe you're not going the right path. Uh, but sometimes now, when I hear these voices. Um, it kind of it's a reminder. I, I don't stop upon my path, you know. I I question, but I verify, kind of always. And so, accessing information, whether it's in the form of reading content and applying it to your life, and kind of having great reminders and understanding that all the answers that we all seek are actually inherently within us. Um, and obviously, there's you need a, a coach, a mentor, um, a friend to relay upon that information and, and bounce information off of. But um, I, I do believe that you know we have access now in our age to really achieve anything. So whether you've been schooled in the normal academia or not, the truth of the matter is every single piece of information you want to learn about any career path, any decision is accessible by your phone. Yeah. And there's no more, you know, I think there's no more excuse to say, hey, I didn't have this. I don't have this. I didn't go to this school. It's BS because entrepreneurship is at an all-time high. Your access to information is at an all-time high. You want to learn about spirituality. You want to learn about frequency. You want to learn about manifestation of your goals and outcomes. If you're an athlete, you've been manifesting your, your result pattern your entire career. You just don't realize it. It, it saved
0: know? my marriage because I actually can fix things now. Right? <laughs> my wife is like, oh, God, I'm weird. This moron that went to law school, he can't even fix the handle. Now I just go on YouTube, check it out. I'm like, oh, that's sexy, man. You know, like all of a sudden I got a whole nother skill set. But you're right, right? We have yeah. all of this information. Now, we're coming to a close. This has been one of the best interviews that I've ever given. I just have to tell you. And <laughs> right. I feel like you're a kindred spirit. I met your friend, Jay. Uh, as Jay's well, man. And we hit it, we hit it off immediately. I don't know why I just looked up. I go, for some reason, this guy just seems like we've lived lifetimes together. <laughs> yeah. I think all three of us must've been in some little crew together in Asia <laughs> here, lifetimes <laughs> ago. But I really believe that just yeah. the final question, which is most important to me, because you are truly a hero to many and, and someone that should be a mentor to, to many as well. But what legacy do you want to leave when it's all over in this lifetime?
1: You know, I... I have been asked that question before, and it changes, I think, in a good way. I think the legacy that I would leave um, is someone who had a really positive impact in community and in society. And I know that's a broad general term, but I I think that my lasting long-term legacy would be that I had impact in my core circle, and that ripple effect really resonated whether someone was a village in India, whether someone was a village in China, and they had access to this content through the smartphone that was transmitted across the, across the ocean and now that impacted them through a translation in a way that they said, you know what, I have the answers inherently within myself. And I think we as human beings are always seeking something or guidance outside of who we are as people and we're looking for someone to hold our hand and show us the way, show us the answer, show us the shortcut. I think the reality is Look, our, our experience on this planet in this meat suit that we wear is limited, right? And the time that we spend running in a hamster cage, trying or skating to. Skating around the track. Or skating in circles, <laughs> right, right. trying to achieve what we deem to be success in our version of that because of the Pavlovian training that we've received throughout the societal traits. That's something that society brings upon us, but we don't have to be a victim to that. We can we can really garner our own outcome in any way, shape, or form. I'm not saying to these people, you know, you have to kind of parlay into that, or or decide that you don't want to play this game. If you are going to play this game, um, I, I just want to have some type of a positive impact on that person to make them believe inherently that they can do something more and amongst all the thousands of mistakes that i've made in my life as a younger athlete as a younger businessman that i can hopefully and i was talking you know to my girlfriend about this on the way down here i was like i never had someone in business to tell me don't put two million don't put five million towards this business don't put 10 towards this guy i had my father but I needed something other than my father to kind of show me the way and this is i guess my lasting message to all pro athletes and all amateur athletes olympic athletes is Educate yourself. Find someone who you trust, who has your best interests, who does not benefit from any of the decisions that you make, who's not in your family, who can showcase you and and give you, not a roadmap, but help basically dissect these business decisions, you know? Someone comes, to you say, hey look, give me a half a mil, give me a quarter mil for this restaurant. Oh my God, you know, like well, right. why do you want to own a restaurant? Why do you want to own a nightclub? Why do you want to invest in this new tech stock? Why do you want to do this, like, like really, you work so hard for your money. We all do. Don't just give it away because a friend's got a great idea. Really know what you're investing and never put anything that you don't understand in anything. And I, I got to tell you, I've had incredible home runs in my life in terms of investing. I've had incredible failures where I fall flat on my face and I say, really how fun. could I possibly <laughs> have believed this person? Yep. And we sometimes become clouded by the outcome right? Yep. And we become clouded by what it could be, this investment or this idea could be. And I think we we need to take a step back and say, look, it took me four years to reach the Olympic stage. And when the curtain was open, that was my product. And business sometimes is very similar. Now, look, some guys will get lucky. Some guys will inherently have incredible ability to do something different. But I think overall, I, I want athletes around the world, whether you're successful, whether you make an Olympic team, whether you're a pro baller, whatever you are, You have the ability to gain access to information, now whether that's people like you, Dave, who've lived a lifetime of experience, who have a network that is unrivaled, these guys gotta learn how to reach out. If you don't ask for help, Right, and don't and, and it's it's a give and take, right? It's a give and take. Don't don't expect someone just to give you money. They're going to give you yeah. information, and that's Never. the biggest value. You could have wrote my yeah. book,
0: man. That's called the Ben Franklin Effect. It, I get, you share so many <laughs> philosophies. I'm sitting yeah. here going, God, I wish I had an hour to talk to you uh, and share this stuff. So, you know, it's amazing to me whether you have gold medals, a Hall of Famer, millions of dollars, or billions of dollars, which I've been blessed to be around. The funny thing is, when I ask about the legacy for these guys, it's all about being of service and in leaving and empowering others and that's what i really admire about you is that you know you are selfless and you know i in there the ben flake effect says always have three mentors people that sit in the situation or have situational knowledge that you want for yourself and the biggest problem for most people is not giving it's actually receiving We're, we we feel guilty we have a negative energy towards yeah. we feel like our ego and, and you know, I, I owned a golf course and I never called one person that owned a golf course and said, hey, my golf course went up 10 times in value. You think I should sell it? Because I promise you in 2007, nobody would have told me, oh, you know what you should do is leverage 120 million against your golf course and buy a bunch more real estate. <laughs> one guy in the yellow pages, that's you, you're old enough, right? I could have just <laughs> called and said, hey, should I sell or buy? And the other piece before we finish is, and I know you feel this because you mentioned this, we have to ask advice for people who have situational knowledge. The worst thing that we yeah. can do is ask advice for people who love us that don't have any knowledge because we end up resenting them for giving us bad advice, Yeah, right? If we ask the wrong people for advice. That's as bad as not asking. Yeah. But, you know, I we're going to have to do this again because I truly, this has been a blessing for me. You are an amazing person and I just will do anything to help you as well. Uh, this is... Dave Meltzer with Apollo Ono, my new gold melts is I get choked up because he's so awesome <laughs> with the playbook.